Genesis 2, 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day. from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. This is the word of God. Thank you, Brandon. Well, uh, my name is Tim Kimberly. I get the honor of being pastor here at Sacred Mission. And uh, man, my my heart's full on a, a bunch of things today. And one of them is, it might seem random, but uh, we've got a decent amount of Colonesco people here today, and just kind of from the get-go, a high level, our, our prayer, even feeling God call this church into existence, was never a, this will be Collins Maxwell, like focus on Collins Maxwell. It was never that. It was, Lord, you've given this church, it seems, a unique heart for Baxter, Colonesco, Collins Maxwell, West Marshall, for really those school districts, and not to exclude others, but to say, like, we just feel like some churches are, are given different assignments, <laughs> and in some ways, we feel like our heart and assignment is more regional, and so it, it may seem when there are, like, rivalries and sports and all these things, but, like, to be called as a people to care about a region is, uh, is something that, that I'm excited about. I, I, I'm excited about every day, and just to be seeing the Lord working in different school districts, I, I'm just really grateful for. So, so uh, Lord, would you give us more of that? Would you give us more of that? And, and just, uh, I didn't plan on saying this, but a part of our heart as a church is to grow smaller over time, uh, we don't want to just like like build this like empire as a central location that everybody comes to. But what our heart is is uh, caring about those areas. But then maybe down the road, being like there should be a church planted in that community and for us to send a group of people to that place or maybe team up with another church that's caring about planting a community. So we're also not caring that our logo is at the top of the, of the letterhead, so to speak. Like, who cares what logo is at the top of the letterhead? Would Jesus be made more famous in all of these uh, areas um, tomorrow as he is today? Because he's worthy of that, and it, and it would be our greatest joy. And so, uh, so I'm just, I'm grateful for today for uh, just the diversity of place that is, that is in, in this room. And uh, I do ask you, if you would, I don't mention this every single Sunday, but uh, um, my wife Patty's been just in a lot of chronic pain for over a year now, has been in Fayetteville, Arkansas for seven weeks now, uh, getting very intensive treatment, and they've scheduled four MRIs for her this coming week. So, and our insurance actually covered all four of them, so which was pretty miraculous, but they're, they're really honing down to like something is not working right in her brain slash neurological system that they've seen hundreds of people over the last 20 years, and they're like, the things we're doing is working, but we feel like there's something in there that is, that is kind of fighting against us. And so, so I would just, if, if you think of it, we would, our family would love prayer, just that that would, if there is something there, it would be 
seen, <laughs> and, uh, and all those details would work out. So um, I know that there's a lot happening in the church, but I also know like I need this church as much as anybody does. My family needs this church as much as anybody does, and I'm grateful to be a part of it um, and to go through the book of Genesis. So last week, we went through chapter one in an entire week, which was probably wrong. It felt like wasn't doing justice to the book to go at such a fast pace. Um, but we saw chapter one at a forest level and took forest application of, of seeing it that way. Uh, this week, we are going way slower. So we're just covering three verses this week where last week. So some weeks, I think we'll, we'll cover more ground than other weeks. Uh, my favorite commentary a scholar that's devoted most of their life to this book of the Bible. Uh, my fav favorite commentary for 20 years now, when I was in graduate school, uh, I think in 2002, I bought this commentary, uh, but it's by a guy named Alan P. Ross. The commentary is named Creation and Blessing. It's about this thick, just on the book of Genesis. And he had a couple comments on chapter one that I thought would be helpful to, to share, just kind of as like a foundational idea as we move into chapter two. So one of his comments that was just, I felt clear, he says, this creation narrative traces how God transformed the chaos into the cosmos, turned darkness into light, and altered that which was unprofitable to that which was good, holy, and worth blessing. And I just like that clear summary of chapter one, that chaos becomes the cosmos, darkness becomes light, altering what is unprofitable to that which is good, holy, and worth blessing. And I thought, you know, God did that, but he does that. It, that's in his nature to create cosmos out of chaos. That's, that's what he does, and he's the same now. One more quote from Ross that I thought was worth chewing on, connected to chapter one. He said, to acknowledge the creator naturally leads to submission to him. Read that again. To acknowledge the creator naturally leads to submission to him. So if Genesis chapter one becomes your accepted understanding of reality, if a question of reality comes up, and Genesis chapter 1 is your accepted view of reality, acknowledging the Creator, naturally we should submit to Him. Is that true in my heart? Is that true in your life? We're going to see, and we're going to some very countercultural places in the next few weeks in the book of Genesis, but what we're going to see is crucial things about why each of us resist him, why each of us resist submitting to him. No one seeks God, no, not one. Scripture even tells us, okay? So we're going to see where did that come from? Why do we fight against what is so good? Why do we fight against the one who is trying to make things right? Why do we fight against his life, yet still acknowledging the creator naturally leads us to submission as being an equally true reality. So, so that is a snapshot of six days of creation. I want to spend a little bit of time there because what happens next is going to be our focus for this morning. And look with me again, if you would, at chapter 2, verse 1. 
Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And we're going to pause mid-sentence there. I'll repeat verse 2 again. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. So we're going to look at the concept of rest, but one of the things that might be missed here is that work is actually a really good thing that God does. Work is a really good thing that God does. And this is so crucial because remember the first recipients of this book are people who don't even remember a time. They, they don't know any relative or the relatives, relatives, relatives that they weren't slaves in Egypt. 400 years. And it's crucial for a bunch of former slaves who probably think work is evil, orchestrated in the minds of evil people for the sake of evil purposes, creating pyramids and filling tombs with things so that the Pharaoh can take everything in the afterlife with them and all that stuff. And all of our work is devoted to this. And people who could fight against the goodness of work and that work is actually, and this is our first point, even from these first three, from these three verses, is that work is a good thing that even God does. We are made in the image of the greatest worker of all time. The world builder. He is making a world for us, a home for us. And the thing that really struck me this week too is at creation, he is actually making a home for himself. Because as we move down into the book of Revelation and other places further into uh, what's revealed to us is that for us to properly think of heaven is to properly think of actually that heaven and earth come together. And where we will dwell forever, those who have given their lives to Jesus, where we will dwell forever is actually here. It's, it's a renovated here, but it is here. We are not in the clouds. We're not floating around the clouds with harps and stuff. Like we're actually here, potentially working and resting well here. And so at creation, he's actually even creating a, a forever dwelling for himself. And as he, so as he is creating the world and creating this home for us and for himself, that this is good work. And it's the good work done in the first six days of creation. And work should not be looked down upon by us. If we're just like, well, death and taxes, or, you know, like, I, I work for the weekend, or, or all of these ideas of, like, and, and sayings that can be on a coffee mug about how bad work is. Work is actually a gift done way before any sin into the world, work is a gift. Not just, not just the work of vocation, what do you do for a living, but even the work that flows from our faith. It's not our work that earns any salvation. It's actually us denying our work and trusting Jesus' work on our behalf. But even work is used in all of that. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Even the building of the church can require blood, sweat, and tears 
Phil almost broke his foot. Uh, one, was that Christmas Eve? Our first Christmas Eve. You know, taking one for the team as this entire stage fell on his foot. Um, and thankfully, he, uh, he didn't... Uh, hopefully that's the first, or the first and last time that ever happens. Um, but we're going to see again in Genesis chapter 3, there's a broken bent to our work. But it is still good. And embracing it is as good... In, at, like to embrace work as good is discipleship for us to, to learn more about Jesus, about his world, about his creation, all of that stuff. Um, I had a, a, a mentor of mine that was preaching on the importance of work, the importance of, of being even called by God into work. And afterwards, a guy came up to him and the guy shared something that the pastor immediately was like, ha, you fully understood what I shared. And he said, hey, my name is, I think his name is Mark. He says, my name is Mark. I'm an ordained plumber. Or ordained by God into the vocation of plumber. And he was like, yes, yes, yes. You know, and um, he's like, you understand the gift from God that work is. So let's go back to verse 2. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So once again, if you're a slave in Egypt, rest is not going to be prioritized as a part of your life. If you are alive in 2022, rest is not a big priority formed into any of us. God does not rest because he's tired. There are a bunch of people who even when they're tired won't rest. You know, I'll rest when I'm dead, you know. Um, God is not tired. He cannot become tired. Now, you could point to Jesus being tired at the well and different places when he says he's thirsty, but that's because he has taken on humanity. And it's actually because of what he's doing for us that takes him to the place of feeling the way he does because he's living the life in our place that, we're, that we should have lived but couldn't. Okay, So there's massive theological implications of why Jesus is thirsty. At this point in creation, among the Trinity, the idea of being tired is impossible. He's, um, he, he's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. The word that's, that's used here in the Hebrew for him resting has less to do with him being tired and more to do with an intentional decision to cease his work. I'm stopping here. Not because I'm tired. I'm stopping here. I, I am resting. So in each of the six days of creation, he is massively productive. You know, he's doing more in one day than any of us combined will do in billions of years, right? Massively productive. And he spends an entire day, intentionally, one-seventh of the whole week, not working, resting. And so if you look at like, well, at the time that this was written, what was the what were false gods, lowercase g gods, what were they saying to people? 
And a lot of people, and if you go to India, I have some dear friends that are from India, minister in India, and a lot of the, the actions of people is out of terror for their God, that their God is going to ruin their lives if they don't basically work like crazy to make them a little less angry at them. And, and that's why, like, sometimes if you look at the God, like the picture of, like, some God at some temple, it looks terrifying. And, they're like, and the, one of my friends shared with me, like, it's meant to bring terror to you, that you're like, I better, you know, act right, or they will, they will terrorize me. And so I need to adjust my behavior. And our, what is fascinating here is in light of a society that is seeing false gods as taskmasters, as your good is never good enough, your efforts will always fall short, you are a slave who needs to always try harder. On day seven, God, I, I would argue, on day seven, God did create. Six days of creation, he created. I would argue he created something on day seven, he created rest. He ceased work, but he created the concept of rest on day seven. Brings our, up our, the second big point just from these three verses. Rest is a good thing that even God does. So you don't rest when you're finally so exhausted you can't go on. God is never exhausted. If God didn't rest until he got tired, he would have never rested. He could have kept going. He didn't run out of ideas, and so he decided I would just rest. He instead created a world with rest. And we are not people who rest well. You can preach that anywhere in the world, but hardworking Iowans will be included in the work uh, or in the group of we do not rest well. We are productive, obsessed, work, drunk, fast-paced culture where rest is seen as lazy and weak. He intentionally ceases from his work. And let's try to embrace this. Ceasing from work is a blessing as much as work is a blessing. Ceasing from work is a blessing as much as work is a blessing. We, we learn later this rest is not just descriptive. So some places in the Bible are descriptive but not prescriptive. So there are some places in Acts where it's like, you know, Peter and, and John went up into the temple it's like, we all need to buy plane tickets and go up into the temple, right? No, that's not pre, it's not prescribing what you should do. It's just describing what they did. God intentionally creates rest on day seven as a prescriptive reality of something he did, but something that he calls us to do. Then on the seventh day, a day of rest. So we are to work we're to work hard, we're to do good work, made in the image of God. At the end of his creation days, he was like, I just worked hard and that was good. I worked hard, that was good. So we are meant to do good work, then on the seventh day to rest. And the first recipients of this book 
are getting ready to form a nation that the book of Isaiah and other places say will not be this exclusive club of God's people, but instead will be a nation founded on God and his ways and his principles to be a light to all nations. In the book of Isaiah, who's being overcome by the Assyrians, who they hate, and they're like, yeah, God is going to set us up to even be a light to them, our enemies. And he's, just, he's prescribing things that they will do to be a light to others. So we are not, I am not advocating that we are on the verge of a theocracy. We are a democracy. We are at the same time called to be ambassadors of Christ. So our lives should be dual citizenship type lives. Like, yes, we should look like Americans for everybody except for the, the one Canadian that we have in our, in our congregation that we dearly love. Um, but it's okay for us to be citizens of the United States. That's a real, and in the book of Genesis, we're actually going to see we need to work hard actually to be better citizens than I think many of us think of when we think of our political process. And we are, we have dual citizenships, so we should, at, how weird would it be if the, the U.S. ambassador from France, so someone who is all French, is the, is, the, is the ambassador in the U.S. of France, and they came to our church. You know, I mean, it'd be strange for them to commute to D.C. and stuff, but if they came to our church, like, you would expect a lot of things from them, and you would expect for them to be very French. You would expect by spending a lot of time with them, you're learning about their country. This is not missed on God and his way and his people is when people spend a lot of time around those who are walking with Jesus, it's like, man, it's like I'm learning about a whole other country, citizens of heaven who are also citizens here and, that, and praying that it be done here as it is there. So for us, we will not be a church that is like, what did you do today on the Holy Sabbath to violate it? You know, in Israel, there, it's, you can get on an elevator on the Sabbath, but you're not allowed to push the button. That's seen as work. So if you're in Jerusalem and you get on an elevator with somebody, they're, if they're obeying the Sabbath, they're looking for somebody else to push the button, you know? And, um, and so I've, I've been in Jerusalem on the Sabbath, and it's a very unique experience. One of the things that we learn in the book of Galatians is that what the law was was a guardian until Christ came. So things are very detailed in the law, and Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill it. So giving is a good example. In the Old Testament, it's very clear how much you're supposed to give. In the New Testament, with now Christ has come, the law is a guardian until Christ comes, now we have the Holy Spirit counseling us we have the New Testament, we have many things, and what we're told about giving is, I'm not going to give you a number. What I'm going to tell you is be sacrificial and generous. You and God will work that out. Be sacrificial and generous, and you, the Spirit will work it out. Let's work it out in community. Let's talk about it in community. The Sabbath. 
What does rest mean? Well, I think that we, if we form the like, well, you know, Mark Huntrods is allowed to maybe feed his sheep only if he sets the food out on Saturday night and then has some tricking mechanism that, you know, while he's walking by, he just accidentally trips something that makes the food come out or something. Like, like societies have gone to that weird of a level. And I think what God would say is rest. Work, rest. Work, rest. Cease from work is, ceasing from work is a blessing as much as working is a blessing. Embrace that. Enjoy it. Lead our family into it. Lead our community into God's good ways. His creation of rest on day seven. So that rests our bodies, it rests our minds, but he also has a greater, remember, he, he creates rest on day seven. And then throughout the New Testament especially, we see him bring more things into what this means. Because remember, he created the concept of rest. And, and that's been messing with me all week. Like It's like, God, you actually, you didn't have to create a world where rest was a part of it. We could have rested in heaven. But even me saying I could have rested in heaven is an implication of what's happening in day seven. He is purposely thinking rest for people that he has just created on day six. So we're going to go to Hebrews chapter three. So we're going to go into the New Testament. Hebrews chapter three, verse 16 says, For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt by Moses? So we're right in the context of Genesis. Like, these are the people who are the first recipients of the book of Genesis. Verse 17, and with whom was he provoked for 40 years? So God is saying, those people provoked me for 40 years. Was it not with those who sinned? whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. So God was getting ready to lead these people into the promised land where they would have rest. And this is telling us that because they did not believe what God was leading them into, they were kept from the, from the promised land, and they were kept from rest. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message that they heard did not benefit them. So it's possible for every one of us in this room to hear messages from God that do not benefit us, benefit us at all. Jesus even healed people who were no better off. He healed a whole group of people and only one returned to worship him. And the rest were no better off encountering Jesus and his power. For the good news, verse 2, came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them. Let's skip up to, move to verse 6, just for, for sake of time. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, 
And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And it might have been through those lyrics that Christy sang, lyrics that Jason sang. It could have been through verses here or something where it's like, I, I think I'm hearing his voice. Don't harden your hearts. Verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So there is a greater rest what this is talking about is a greater rest that has been created for us. Strive to enter that rest. It's, that is a purposeful ceasing of our work trying to get us to him. So we can work six days a week, but there could be a greater work where it's like, I'm trying to do more good than bad in my life. I'm trying to do this to get to God. I'm reading enough to try and, and convince myself he doesn't exist. And I'm, I, I still feel like he might, but I'm trying to convince my mind. Like I'm doing all this work to try to connect with him or, or disavow him or all of this stuff that I'm doing. And there's a place that God even says, rest. <laughs> Strive to enter a rest where we come sola fide, so what I mean by that Latin word is by faith alone. What happens when we lay down any tools of the trade that we try to use to build some bridge to God and we receive him saying, it is faith alone. What faith alone allows you to do is to accept all of his work and to deny all of your secondary works that won't cut it. Not because they might not be sincere. They could be super sincere. But just, uh, okay, so the secret's out. I am not God the Father. If you had thought I was, I'm not. Okay, I can give you many, my wife can give you unlimited examples that prove I'm not God the Father, right? But if I was, and I was able to see the most amazing Iowan living the most amazing life, being a good person, helping their neighbors in need, giving the shirt off their back if they needed to, pulling their friends out of the ditch when it was wintertime. Just the most great things that are good. Good. We should all be good in that sense. We are not a church that's advocating for people to stop doing good things. Okay? But what that person is doing is bad admission to heaven. They're doing good things, but bad admission to heaven. Because if I see that, I'm like, yeah, that's good. And then I look over here, and I see the Son of God, Jesus, leaving heaven, working a life, living a life in our place, 
experiencing excruciating death so that his payment could pay anything that this person is trying to pay. And he would pay it in a way that is so unbelievably powerful that even if we discovered another world that had 10 billion inhabitants, it would be like, yeah, he doesn't need to go back to the cross. Like, the magnitude of what he did on the cross, and I brought up a weird concept, but the magnitude of what he did on the cross is sufficient for every person, anywhere, anytime, past, present, future sins. No one can out-sin what Jesus did on the cross. And the Father can look here and be like, okay, what he did for this person or what this person did for this person? I think with tears in his eyes, the Father would be like, this is the only way. There's no offering that I will ever accept, I can ever accept, than that offering for this person. And they can get off the hamster wheel. They can sleep good at night. They can rest. They can have rest for their souls because they're resting in him. And this is uh, Augustine was a guy who was so full of sin. He was like, God, I'm going to come to you, but not yet. I've got a lot of sin left to do. And God even broke him of that. And he uh, had this saying in the fourth century that was, our hearts are restless until they rest in him. God created the concept of rest on day seven. He ensured the eternal victory of our rest on day three. On day seven, he created the rest. On day three, years later, after Jesus has been dead in the tomb for three days, it was on day three that he broke out of the grave, conquered death, is alive at well and live, and offers us rest in him. Strive to enter that rest. So three, uh, three questions for, for each of us, kind of landing the plane here this morning, but three questions to, to really bring this home. This will be things that I, I would encourage you to try a community group because these are amazing places to just to, to tease out like, hey, what does this look like? Or maybe even just be the quiet person in the back that's kind of just enjoying the food. But then it's also like, I want to hear other people process this and I'll, I'll jump in eventually. But I just, I would like to hear other people process that. that can be, that's helpful for me to hear other people talk through things. One question is, am I engaged in good work? Am I engaged in good work? Does my attitude about my work need to change? Maybe my work needs to change. Once again, like, don't... I had a private conversation with a person this morning saying, like, hey, I know your situation. Don't make major life decisions without... Like, don't just, like, hear this sermon and be, go out and be like, okay, I got to quit this and quit this and quit this. Be like, no, that's what community is for is for us to pray together, weigh together, weigh things together. Um, but we are not designed to hate what we do. You are not meant to look what, at what you've done and been like, this is worthless, this is bad. As people made in the image of God, we're supposed to look at what we've done and been like, that was good. You know, even like my, one of my first jobs outside of like working for farmers when I was growing up here was I worked at Fairway in Nevada, the old Fairway, and stocked shelves early in the morning. And even stocking shelves at Fairway, I remember like being like, this is good. Like, 
I, I see how I'm a part of the process. Like, I see how me putting this here, someone buys it, they take it home, and I'm a part of this good thing, you know, that, that happens. And it was hard to get up early, especially when you had to work in the freezer section. Um, but, but I could look at it and say, like, hey, that, that's good. And, and it should be good in a way that you have to purposely stop. You have to be like, you know what? I could Now, granted, I know that work could still be work and challenging and all that stuff, but, but as a whole, you should be like, I could keep doing this, but I need to stop. I need to rest. Even when the to-do list is still a mile long, I need to stop. I need to rest. So am I engaged in good work, and then am I resting well? This isn't a question for your spouse, you know, been like, hey, you got to hear this, you know, but this is a question for each of us, like, to really own, is do I consistently stop? Even when the to-do list is, is, is adding in length, is it, is it a blessing to me, as God says it is, is it a blessing to me to rest? What would need to change for me to be able to rest? And this is a, uh, sometimes I try to not, a pastor sometimes could like always make themselves the hero of their story and like always share like how they're doing it right and, and not forget to share about all the times when they're failing and doing things wrong and stuff. But I share this because it actually like highlights my wife way more than me. Uh, but when I was in graduate school, we were getting married and I had done pretty well in graduate school, but I worked full time because I had this goal of graduating graduate school without any debt at all. And so I was like, okay, in order for this to happen, I've got to work full-time. And i got to work full-time for the school because they give free tuition as a perks and all that stuff. So I was working full-time, and then I did all of my Greek and Hebrew and all that stuff in the evenings and on the weekends. And I'd stay up late writing papers and all that stuff. Well, as Patty and I are getting married, she's like, what's this going to look like? And I was like, well, you know, you'll go to bed and I'll, you know, work on papers late at night. You know, I'll, I'll spend the whole weekend doing this stuff. And she was like, don't you think God would call you to go to bed with your wife? Like, do you, do you think that, like, he would, I'm not trying to step on your toes. I'm, this is a pure story. No one's in mind except for me and my wife. But she was like, don't you think God would honor you going to bed with me? And I was like, great, we're going to bed at midnight, 12.30. She's like, I'd like to go to bed at 9 p.m. And I was like, you're killing me here, you know, like, you know, and, but I was like, okay, we will go to bed at nine o'clock. And, and she's like, we're having dinner together. We're doing this stuff together. So like, you know, you probably have an hour or two in the evening. And then uh, we're going to go to bed at nine o'clock. And then I'd like for you to not work at all on Sunday. And I was like, man, in the back of my mind, I was like, hey, I can, I can push that further down the road, you know, and, uh, and I can work really late on Sunday or whatever. And once again, like, it was hard because I was doing pretty well, and I was thinking, okay, if my GPA tanks here, I, like, maybe could still graduate and all that stuff. I had several years left. Um, we'd be there for seven years total. But um, one of the things that was crazy was my wife, like, was just, like, Patty was, let's see what God does when we rest well. And it's, it's, it is unbelievable, but I did, I did well up until that time. From that time until I graduated, I got a 4.0 every semester. Like, it was crazy. Crazy. I mean, my, my grades just went, just skyrocketed. And I just found, I was like, 
I, I, like, I trimmed all the fat. Like, I was the most efficient studier. I was the most efficient. I wasn't plagiarizing. Like, I was, I, I had to be efficient. Like, I really did. I was like, okay, I got to memorize 100 Hebrew words in an hour. And I was like, God, you, you're going to have to do this because I'm going to bed with my wife in an hour, you know. And, uh, and he did. I learned that you actually learn a lot while you're sleeping. Like, you, like you really do. Like, if you get it into you and you go to bed, your brain actually is kind of processing. There's, like, weird stuff that I was like, oh, maybe the Lord knows what he's talking about here. And resting is good on so many levels. Um, and so one of the aspects here is just, it's not, someone else might say, well, I did that and my GPA plummeted, you know. And, and it's not like God will always because he's teaching all of us different lessons. When he does one thing, he's doing a thousand things. But one thing I learned was to trust him. No, no matter how it plays out, trust him. He wants you to rest. And not so that he can torture you. He wants you to rest because it's good for you. It's good for your family. It's good for your community. And we're designed to rest well. And he even models this. And, um, and so, are, am I resting well? What would it look like for me to rest well? And just as a side thing, and I've learned this from personal experience, binge watching a season on Netflix is not restful. Like if I'm like, hey, I'm gonna go and take a nap, you know, and I come out two hours later, I'm like, oh, I should have taken a nap. <laughs> I shouldn't have binge watched, you know, two hours worth of Netflix. Like it's, uh, and I'm not anti-Netflix, I'm just saying that's not restful. Uh, at least I don't find it to be restful. And re realize, he says, keep it holy. Like, like part of resting is with God at the center of that. Like that, that is the most restorative rest we can do. And um, it is resting in that way. And then the third one, is my soul at rest? All of us could answer no. I am not in the promised land. I am not home capital H, home. I, I, am, I am not fully at rest. My soul is not at rest because I'm not with God. We're told in Hebrews 4, though, strive to enter that rest. Am I resting in the finished work of Jesus for my soul? Am I resting in the finished work of Jesus? Am I always saying, if this happened then my soul would be at rest. If these three things would happen, my soul would be at rest. And I have mentors even now with the season that my family's in to say, you can rest now. Even with a long prayer list, your soul can be at rest because of Jesus and your relationship with him, even if you have a long prayer list that you're asking for. Um, have I given my life to him? My soul will not be at rest until I give my life to him. Which, by the way is how you can perfectly observe the Sabbath every Sunday from sunup to sundown for the rest of your life and go to hell. And I don't say that with joy, I just say that as clearly as I can. Observing the Sabbath is meant to be something you do or resting in the way that the Holy Spirit guides us. We do when our souls are at rest. And things are out of order if we say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to observe the Sabbath every week, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to resist Jesus for a lifetime. Strive to enter this type of rest. 
And what I love in that Hebrews passage is it's showing us the power of the Word of God. That am I striving to know the ways of God? Am I striving to know the Word of God and be obedient to it? So the people, the, who, the original recipients of Genesis, clearly heard Moses and chose to not obey. I don't want to be a person who's clearly hearing the words of God and not obeying. I don't want you to be that person. I don't want my kids to be that person. I don't want any of us to be that person. Why would we be that way when rest is on the table? Um, is my soul at rest? If the answer is no, you don't leave here with shame. If the answer is no, you leave here looking to him. Give me rest, Lord. I, I give my life to you. I look to you for your rest. Striving to enter this rest. So, so one action thing is just personal time in the word of God is critical for all of us in this. Because it's like every day I need to be redirected towards his restful ways. Every day I need to be redirected. And once again, don't leave here with shame. Just leave here with, uh, God, would you allow me to develop? Would, would, I, would I be able to develop a personal time in your word that is bringing rest to my soul, taking your yoke upon me? Um, and then I would encourage community group involvement here too because this is where we are going to tease out a lot of these things or even just getting together with somebody. Be like, hey, can we get together and talk about these things? We can talk, football's great. You know, I enjoy the fantasy teams and all that stuff. Um, and th these are the, let's talk about these first <laughs> or, or let, let's make sure we're talking about these in light of other things that we talk about in life. So can I pray for us so then we'll, we'll move into this. Lord, I thank you for, for creating rest. If there's anybody here either that have given their lives to you or haven't given their lives to you, that just rest is the furthest thing from their experience. We look to you to give us rest for our souls right now. Would you teach us how to live this out? We want to obey this. We want to follow this. This is some of the first words you ever penned, and it is as cutting edge as anything we can be exposed to. Would you teach us what this looks like for our lives? Would you develop all of the hard yeses and nos that we need to embrace to get to a place where we are living a life with our eyes on you and bodies, heart, mind, soul, and strength that are able to rest in you. Jesus, we pray. Amen. A way that we can walk into a restful relationship with him is communion. I thought of communion this week as in some ways it's just kind of like us going in this room where one day we'll be face-to-face -face with our Savior, and we're able to commune with Him in a way that's really special. Every, he, he's present. We can talk with Him. We can feel His presence. We can feel His power. There is something special He created in communion for us to commune with Him in a way that is unique and beautiful and powerful. And so, if you have not given your life to Jesus, I would say, instead of coming to the table, come to Jesus. I'd love to talk to you about that, or if there's someone around you that you're comfortable speaking with, um, I would just encourage you, I, I, I'd stay all day 
for a conversation like that. So please don't rush out of here um, if you're feeling him. Today is the day if you're feeling him uh, leading you to him. That's a, that's a beautiful, that's the best of days. Um, for, for those of us who, who have given our lives to Jesus, Jesus is our Savior. Uh, this is a beautiful way for us to commune with him. We like to, as 1 Corinthians tells us, to first examine ourselves. So open ourselves up to him to, to show us to do surgery on our soul. Uh, then let's confidently come to the table. Uh, we'll have Kevin and, and Brandon, I think, are serving communion today. Is that right? And so they'll be up here with plastic gloves on. Just hold your hands out. We'll come down the center aisle. They'll give you the bread. Uh, they'll give you wine or juice. Just take one. Obey your conscience there. Uh, then after everybody's received the elements, we'll, re- we'll stay standing, and I'll lead us through taking it together. So let's come to him.